This is From Where She Stands, a podcast connecting the storylines of Orange is the New Black with stories from real women whose lives have been impacted by prison. I'm your host, Piper Kerman. It doesn't feel like that long ago that I wrote the memoir, Orange is the New Black, My Year in a Women's Prison, to document my 13 months behind bars. The stories in the book about real-life situations in prison were brought to life by some of the actresses on the Netflix original series, Orange is the New Black. Over this season of From Where She Stands, we're going to be talking with some of the actresses about the connection between their storylines and reality. I'll talk to Diane Guerrero about her family being detained. These are the people who are being detained. The father dropping their child off to school. The woman going to her job in the morning. I'll talk to Laverne Cox, and we'll ask incarcerated trans women what it means to be a trans woman living in a men's prison. So whether I'm in a man's prison or a women's prison, what difference will it make? I'll talk with Dasha Polanco, and we'll hear from women who gave birth while incarcerated. I am a child of an incarcerated parent, and playing a mother in incarcerated and having to give up their child. Not only was it complex, but there were so many emotional barriers for me. And Danielle Brooks will be joining us when we hear the story of one woman's return to the free world after years of being in and out of prison. I found a whole different world. It was like a world of plenty. It was like a world of respect. Today, I'll be talking to Uzo Aduba. But first, we'll start with this story, episode one, In Touch. Chocopee Correctional Facility sits within a suburban neighborhood with manicured lawns and single-family homes just near an elementary school. From the outside, it actually looks more like a high school, and inside, it feels surprisingly similar. Murals on the walls, classrooms spread throughout. There are about 650 women here and a handful who identify as men. Most of those incarcerated are here for drug charges. Around 100 of them are here for homicide. It's a mixture of everyone in very close quarters. And living right on top of one another is something you have to learn how to do. And that means relearning whether to touch, how to touch, and when not to touch. Inside the Chakopee prison, just past the room where women go to work making helium balloons for a party company, in that same hallway, there's the hair salon. Here, the women are getting their hair colored and trimmed. A group of women sit at a table with mannequin heads that they braid, comb, and tease. On one side of the room, a woman lies down on a bed to get a facial. She's wearing her gray prison uniform, like all of the women here. Her eyes are closed, 
A towel wraps her hair up in a turban, and another woman sits behind her, rubbing her cheeks in slow, gentle circles. The seated woman is focused, touching her pretend client's face like she's caring for something that she doesn't want to break. Her client is either asleep or just extremely relaxed. The only thing that moves on her is her chest. Slow, deep breaths. Inside this salon is one of the few places where touch is allowed. Chakopee Prison is a no-touch facility, meaning all the women must keep their hands to themselves. No handshakes, no hugging, no touch. As far as each other, we can't touch each other. Even a handshake, a genuine handshake once in a while is nice. To feel another person's body heat, especially when you're not having a good day, you have to walk around with that that emotion on you. When you, you can talk about it, but it's nothing like a friendly hug. Almost all prisons have no touch rules. Part of this has to do with the total ban on sexual contact. And prisons will say it's for the security of the prisoners. The no-touch rule is so they don't hurt each other. And for the women in Shakopee, it's something many of them say they think about a lot. The touch I miss the most is a hug. I miss my son, just being able to cuddle with him the most. Um, Hugs, I'm a big hugger. Personally, I miss the more intimate touch, but, you know, just because, like I said, I'm married and you know, have a family, so I miss that contact more than anything else. Hugging. I feel like I just got permission to just put my weight right there. Just put my emotions, my feelings, and everything on somebody's shoulder. Well, shit, I guess we're not going to lie. I mean, I, I miss a touch from a man, you know? And that's, that's what gets me into trouble. You know, when my dad died, I did need a hug. And I did get a hug. It was just It's kind of at the officer's discretion. Being able to hug your peer or being able to just touch them on the hand. I just come back from having a baby at the hospital. You need a hug. You need something. You need some kind of... It has nothing to do with sexual affection, nothing like that. Something we don't think about often is how many times in a day you actually touch someone in the free world. A handshake, a pat on the back, a hug, a kiss on the cheek, a child climbing into your lap. Our bodies are built for touch. It's chemical. We release oxytocin, a hormone that does a lot of things, decreasing blood pressure and decreases stress and fear. But it also increases our attachment to one another. Biologically, we are made to receive touch. Yet it's one of the most basic things that prisoners are stripped of. But at the end of the day, like, the real touch that I'm I'm thriving for is my kids. My mom. You know, like, I I don't get it. I don't understand. 
We should be able to do high fives. We should be able to hug. We should be, you know, as long as it's appropriate, as they say, regardless of what the rules are, some rules are made to be broke, you know? I mean, that's probably not right to say, but it's the truth, you know? And the more petty the rules are, the more they get broken. Touch is normal, natural, needed, but it's not always wanted. At least 80% of women are victims of physical violence prior to incarceration. It could be during childhood or adulthood. The warden of Chocopee, Tracy Belts, says that that's one of her biggest concerns. There are women here that do not want to be touched, and they struggle and are challenged by saying, I don't want you touching me. I don't want you hugging me. I don't want you putting your hand on my back. I've told women here, people are supposed to not just assume that you are okay being high-fived or that you're okay being patted on the back. They need to ask you before they do that. But some rules are absolutely impossible to enforce. Rules that are written but contradict everything that your instinct or your heart is telling you. I when my baby passed and the lieutenant, uh, and I thought that was so sweet of her, she came to me and she said, Miss Karen, first she said, when you want to go to SAG, I said, why would I want to go to SAG? She said, to make sure you don't hurt yourself. I said, I'm not crazy. I'm just mourning. And she said, well, would you like me to call any inmate of your choice so they can come and give you a hug? I was like, wow, I thought that was really sweet. And so uh, she called somebody for me, and, oh, I hugged the heck out of her because you can't touch here. You know, so I thought that was really, really sweet of her. It feels like there are a million rules in prison. No touching is just one of them. But there are the warden's rules, and then there are the prisoner's rules. I got a handbook of all of the prison rules, but the prisoner rules I had to learn by watching and by listening. Like, don't ask people why they're there. And you would definitely think twice about cutting in line. There's a protocol to that. It's all about personal space and hierarchy. You don't step foot into someone's cell without being invited. This place is all about consent and being punished when you break these rules. There can be lines for the showers, but shot callers can take their showers when they want. And don't you dare touch anyone's stuff. With all of these rules, you start craving things to make you feel more you. Listen, I already got to wear the same color as you. Can I at least have a hairstyle? If that's all I'm asking for. Yeah, that's what. That's one thing we do have. That's all I want. <laughs> In the Chocopee gym, yet a player is getting her hair braided. You look good, you feel good, you are good. Yeah. And it's the only thing we really got controlling here over is our hair. Today, Yetta's stylist is Ebony. I know my name is Ebony Lane, and I was born today when Harriet Tubman freed the slaves. Girl, you don't be quiet. When you walk into the gym in Chocopee Correctional Facility, there's an open court with classrooms and workout equipment on the sides. About six women are getting their hair braided. It's not the salon. It's a makeshift one that the prison has allowed space for, where some of the rules about touch don't apply. We only got two hours. Listen, put some fancy stuff in here, make it zigzag. 
Braiding day happens a few days a week. I'm gonna French braid it, going to the side like in corn rolls, all in one big braid. And then it'll have like designs in it. And that's about it really. Don't sound depressed when you do my hair. You gotta put some love into my roots. There's a lot of laughing today. And there's some singing. <laughs> oh, oh, you really wanted to. By the way, I throw that thing back, that pretty cat, it keep on calling. Don't you hear it talking? So come on over here. Because that is my personality. The constant joking. Man, because she keep pulling on my hair like I ain't got black people here. Y'all ain't even y'all ain't even tripping that I ain't trying to be in your head like I'm hurting you Listen, today. Don't act like I'm mad or nothing. You is. You taking your frustrations out on me because somebody Ooh. talking about your man. Girl. I ain't do it. I'm just saying, what Listen, would you do? I ain't do it. <laughs> the relationship talk. Well, first of all, I don't understand why you going to write him and he not writing you back. That means he's well, not trying he to said, talk to you. I don't know how many days had it been since the man wrote. For a lot of women, just being admitted into the prison doesn't just mean the strip search and the certain loss of their freedom. It also means physically being stripped of identity. And it can start with your hair. Weaves or braids, in most prisons, they have to come out. That's like degrading us. It you is. know, because we have like nappy hair. They don't let us like fix it or whatever. Or and you know, what can we smuggle in these little tiny braids? Yeah. I know. Like, and then you're gonna make me take all of these down, and you're gonna sit here and watch me take all That's of these down? Like, I'm gonna come back, just got my hair done last week. Yeah, before you leave, and, be, and when you come back, like if you went to court. I told him I wasn't taking my hair down before I went. Yeah, to me neither. They make you take your hair down and run your fingers through your hair and then take our picture. And I feel like that is really degrading. It is. And so here in the gym, where the braids happen, it almost becomes this kind of sacred space for women to reclaim some sense of who they are. I don't know. For me, I feel like you can take my freedom, but you can't take my personality. This is who I am. You already took one big piece of me. I refuse for you to take anything else. Growing up, I really didn't think that I was a beautiful person, inside or out. Yetta is 26. She called doing time in Jacopi a piece of cake, if that's what you make it. I got to keep myself clowning. I'd rather be happy than be upset. And so I had to learn how to be confident with myself instead of having other people tell me I'm beautiful. I had to figure out how to believe it myself. I've been here for a year, and I have a year left. I don't want to come back here, I know that. You stick to your plan, keep focused on the day that you get out, and remind yourself of the things that you love. This place has made me love myself more. Like, I've found things that I don't even know about myself. There is this metal fence around the Chakopee prison. It was only put up in 2016. And it was a huge debate. The neighbors thought that it would look like they were living next to a prison. They worried that their property values would go down. The fence is black. It doesn't have any barbed wire at the top. There are no officers patrolling the gates. But it's a barrier, a reminder that this place is, in fact, a prison. 
Inside this fence, a few rules have since changed. Since this piece was reported, the warden, Tracy Belts, has adjusted the no-touch policy. So they can high-five one another, they can shake hands, they can fist bump. What we've done is we've said if somebody is grieving, they can pat each other on the shoulder or shoulder blade and kind of support one another that way. Hugs are still off-limits. You might remember this flashback scene from Orange is the New Black. Hey, would you like me to fix your hair up? Seems you should have a fancy do to go with that fancy outfit. Ooh, I love, love your wings. Thank you. Pink's my favorite color. It was Uzo Aduba's character, Suzanne, also known as Crazy Eyes, who was adopted by white parents. In the scene, we see her as a child going to visit her newborn sister in the hospital. A black nurse notices little Suzanne's hair, and she thought it could use some help. A touch from someone who looked like her, who understood, and so the nurse offers to style it. She carefully twists Suzanne's hair into bantu knots, a simple act of tenderness that became her signature look. It was also the touch that she was longing for, a sense of confidence that she found within her character and in everything around her. I sat down with Uzo to talk about the things that make her and her character feel uniquely themselves. First of all, can I just start out by asking you to tell me a little bit about your name. You know, we both grew up in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Go Sox. Go Sox. <laughs> and I know that for myself growing up as a piper, there were no other pipers and I got teased a lot for being a piper. Piper rhymes with all kinds of things you don't want it to rhyme with. Mm-hmm. What was it like to have your name growing up in Massachusetts? Having my name growing up in Massachusetts was tough. You know, um, my full name is Uzamaka Duba. And so Uzamaka means the road is good. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a predominantly, or, you know, you should just even call it spade a spade, an all-white community. Mm-hmm. My family is from Nigeria. We immigrated to the United States. And so it wasn't just living in a racially desperate area, but also a culturally nationally immigrant desperate area. Mm. So a name like Uzamaka is not one to be found anywhere Mm -hmm. in uh, my community for miles. Mm -hmm. And so it was tough. You know, I remember coming back from school one day because people couldn't say Uzamaka. I always knew it was me. It was in in the school roll call Mm -hmm. and the teachers would be looking up and, you know, and they're looking at me and sometimes it would be funny. You'd just be sitting there waiting for them because that's not my name. I don't have to answer. But most times it was tough because I think most kids generally just want to fit in and feel like everybody else or feel a connectedness in some area 
with everyone else uh, around them. Yeah, I used to wish my name was Alice. (laughs) Well, I wanted my mom. I came home and I said to my mom, I said, can you call me Zoe? And I came up with that because it sounds kind of like Uzo, because Uzo is a common nickname for Uzamaka. So I was like, Uzo seemed like even that was so hard for people to say. Even now today, my name is anglicized to Uzo. It's Mm -hmm. Uzo. Uh, So I came home one day and I said, Mommy, can you call me Zoe? Because that seems like I could get away with that. And I just remember... That she was cooking in the kitchen and she stopped immediately and she looked at me and my mom kind of has this like sly eye when she's really serious about something. Mm. And she stopped and her eyes lifted and she was like, why? And I was like, because no one can say Uzamaka. And without skipping a beat, she just said, if they can learn to say Tchaikovsky and Dostoevsky and Michelangelo, and they can learn to say Uzamaka. And it was like, back right to cooking. And I was like, okay, you know, what's a Dostoevsky? Like, you know, kind of a thing. Um, But it was the truth. And it was the only exchange that I've ever had with her about my name. Mm. I won't say that right away was, okay, yes, that's my name. But over time, certainly, I realized it is my identity to just embrace who I am. And who I am is the child of immigrants from Nigeria. And that name was handed to me with purpose and intention because of that journey. Mm. And I wouldn't want my name to be anything else but that. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, we've been talking about Suzanne, but of course the character is also widely known as Crazy Eyes, and that comes directly from the book. Yes. And of course, you know, the Crazy Eyes in the book is very, very different in millions of ways from the character that you played. I remember when we were working on the very first season and I was reading scripts and I was reading the character of Suzanne, of Crazy Eyes, and I felt worried. Mm. I felt like, I don't know how this is going to come off. This Mm. is, this is, this woman is, you know, struggling with mental health issues and everything else. I, I, I'm really anxious about this because I was, I was initially worried. And so, you know, I love that you call her Suzanne. I do. I can, I can now call her crazy eyes because I was, I was, when we started, you know, one, I, w- I wouldn't think that a person would call themselves the name that they're teased, you know, <laughs> I was like, and somebody who themselves had, you know, a name adjustment period mm-hmm. uh, growing up, knew there was something really important about getting her name right. Mm. And so, yeah, I didn't want to call her crazy eyes. And I was also very, very protective of her. Do you think that you carried some of those lessons or, you know, your growth into that name, into the way that you interpreted the character of Suzanne? Without question. I think, you know, I was able to relate to her growth in her own comfortability um, because that's my own story to some degree. Suzanne starts her story outwardly seeking 
you know, outwardly seeking validation, outwardly seeking love, outwardly seeking someone else's approval. And I know those feelings. I know what it feels like to seek that, find that, search for that, and it come to you and leave, or it come to you and be heartbreaking. And I know what it feels like, looks like to be on the other side of that, to realize, you know what, the person I need to love is me. Mm. First, the the relationship I need to nurture is the love affair I have with myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's been Suzanne's journey from the beginning of the show. You Mm -hmm. know, she was seeking the love of Piper, didn't get it. She find herself in the dastardly trap of looking for love from V, Mm -hmm. you know, and that being exploited what that feels like. She realizes what it feels like to get the opportunity to choose love when Cocudio comes along. And she realizes in that moment, it's a pivotal moment, I thought, season three, with that story arc of, oh, I have choice in this. I don't Mm. just have to take what somebody is willing to give me. I don't have to take someone's drip drop. I don't have to take this small, small amount that's being handed to me. I can choose what kind of relationship I want. And I think that set her on a pathway to really explore inside who she is and what it is she wants from this life. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I wonder what you take from this, you know, the experience of playing Suzanne about sort of the way she's treated within the system and also these questions about the wider world, like where a person like Suzanne fits and why we use prisons and jails as places of banishment. If we are interested truly in rehabilitation, I don't believe that a woman of Suzanne's mental capacity belongs in a prison as the best form of treatment for Mm -hmm. her. I do not believe that. I think that is a woman and a character who has been mishandled. I think it's consistent with the way she had been handled, frankly, outside of prison. Mm -hmm. One of the last still unexplored social issues that exist is the conversation of mental health. I don't know if it's our own fear or panic that when we have that conversation, some of us might realize that we identify with it. I don't know what it is. But by ostracizing people in that way, I think leaves people to feel alone and abandoned in critical moments. So playing the role of Suzanne, I wonder what reflections you have about this question of self-esteem and confidence when it comes to incarcerated women or any of, you know, we're talking always about people who have been pushed to the margins in one way or another. And I think you, you spoke so eloquently to that. Self-esteem and confidence as it relates to formerly incarcerated women or even incarcerated women Mm -hmm. is not something you hand over just because you've been in a part of the system. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you're required to forfeit, give up, let go of. It's not a right you lose, okay? I would say to women or men who've been a part of the system, you know, because we love to put scarlet letters on people and brand people and say, this is what you are and you need to wear that forever. I don't believe in that. Mm -hmm. I think every single person deserves redemption. 
I don't know if I think you're responsible for carrying the weight of having grown into an area that's purposely targeted by drugs and alcohol. I don't know if I necessarily believe that you then becoming the very product that society has intended for you are responsible for the rest of your life. And you can still live this life with a head held high. High, not held up, high. So we've been thinking a lot about things we can do outside of prison walls. One thing we've done is launched the Pusey Washington Fund. The money raised from this fund will go to help eight organizations fighting to end the epidemic of mass incarceration of women in America. When you donate, you'll contribute to the fight for criminal justice reform, immigration rights, and helping women integrate back into the wider community after their sentences. To join us, you can visit crowdrise.com forward slash PWF. There were so many ways that Orange is the New Black reflected reality. In the last season, the character Maritza Ramos uses a hotline to find a lawyer while being detained in a privatized immigration detention center. This hotline, a real hotline, gained a lot of popularity due to exposure from the show, and ICE shut it down. We wanted to dive deeper into the issues of family separation. You know, you couldn't really concentrate on on you when you're afraid you're going to come home and them not be there. And so that's exactly what happened, of course. Next week, we speak to Diane Guerrero. Join us. From Where She Stands is a production of Netflix and Pineapple Street Studios. From Netflix, our executive producers are Nia Lee, Tori Gleiker, and Brooke Reese. From Orange is the New Black, executive producers are Genji Cohan, Tara Herman, and myself, Piper Kerman. This series was created by Pineapple Street Studios. Executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, and Leela Day. The senior producer is Leela Day, with producers Josh Gwynn and Justine Daum. Production assistance from the incredible Jessica Jupiter and Sophie Bridges. Our sound engineer is James Rowlands. Music throughout the episode is by Salami Rose. Thank you to the women at Chocopee Correctional Facility who shared their experiences. My name is Amanda Rohde. Jadea Winand. Nyla Morrell French. Sarah Shocker. Ebony Land. My name is Yetta Player. <laughs> At Chocopee Correctional Facility, special thanks to Warden Tracy Belts, Michael Ubjiwe, and Jeff Spees. I'm Piper Kerman. Thanks for listening.